Do you have more pictures of your goats than yourself on your phone? Does your vacation time get spent attending goat shows? Can you have a conversation without bringing up dairy goats? Neither can we. So join us as we talk to the country's best breeders, judges, appraisers, and industry experts about all things dairy goats. We are John Kane and Danielle Caroli. Welcome to Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. What's up, everyone, and welcome to Ringside. I'm John, and as always, I'm joined by Danielle Caroli, the barista of dairy goat knowledge. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? Doing all right. Just uh, another week of uh, just kind of getting the girls in, ready for breeding season. Really nothing going on with the herd. Uh, dry. Pretty much everybody's dried off. I haven't milked in like five days. And uh, we're just kind of doing our thing. How about you? We're milking and I guess we're getting ready for breeding season, but I'm definitely not looking forward to having to do daily heat checks of bringing one of the bucks up to the barn and all of those things. So I know it's coming, but if it can just stay a little longer and non-breeding season, I'd be happy. Well, you know, you could invest in a little something called a buck rag, you know, just wipe it on your bucks and you don't have to do all that. Yeah, but it also gets the bucks exercise and most of the time they're pretty good at figuring out which does are in heat. So they might as well earn their keep somehow. And also (laughs) they, I find when I'm bringing them back and forth each day, it really helps me handle them in all situations because they know the routine but they also are workable so there are methods to my madness sometimes yeah true true that i I get it i get it you know Uh, if you want to get stinky every day that's fine by you you know well i mean (laughs) that's what showers and coffee soap are for (laughs) i guess Uh, now uh we do have a guest today um there's one place we all go to to look up linear data on animals uh you know planning breedings look up milk records pedigrees in general etc etc this week we're sitting down with gene dershowitz creator and upkeeper of one of the most influential tools for breeding dairy goats add good genetics gene and family have been breeding french alpines at miss d's french alpine dairy goats for nearly 50 years near Salem, Oregon. Welcome to the show, Gene Dershowitz. Well, thank you, John. Glad to be here. How's everything going for you guys out west? Well, we've got some fires going on. It was real smoky yesterday, hard to really work outside. But things are going to be clearing up here in a few days, I think. Have any precipitation on the way? Oh, I don't know. Not not for another week or so, at least. Yeah. It's been very dry this year. It sure has. I mean, across the country, it's been pretty bad, and especially for you guys out west. Yeah. And the does haven't been in heat yet. Really? Oh, really? <laughs> is, that a, is that a good thing or bad thing? 
Well, you know, breeding season is always exciting uh, for it to come on, but it seems like last several years they've been kind of late in coming into heat. So I don't know. It fits into my schedule. I like them to kid March, April anyway. Right. I'm, I'm right there with you. That's so crazy because I feel like here on the East Coast, we've been having does coming into heat earlier and earlier. It used to be my bucks wouldn't start going into rut until August, September, and now I swear come July, they're starting their rut. I've definitely had does in heat. I was judging a show in early August, and there was several does in a noticeable heat, so it's crazy how one side of the country it's starting later and the other it's starting earlier. Yeah. It used to be labor day was pretty reliable for those starting to come into heat, but things have changed out here. For sure. Uh, now Jean, before we get into our discussion about ADGA genetics and your herd and you, uh, we do have a little bit of ADGA news to get into. Uh, so, Folks that are listening, uh, the convention schedule has been posted. Um, you can go to their website or you can go to the ADGA Facebook page and check out that schedule. Uh, and Danielle, we have an announcement to make about that. We do. So as we teased last episode, we have an announcement. For this year's convention, we will be doing a ringside live episode where we will be sitting down with Farmer John of Beekman 1802 Farm and recording a live episode. So for everyone attending convention, come to the theater on Thursday, October 6th at 3 p.m. to join us for a live episode. We're going to be talking again with Farmer John of Beekman 1802, talking about his herd and marketing the dairy goat products that Beekman 1802 puts out. And then also we'll probably have some time for questions and answers, things like that. So we're really excited to be coming to the Syracuse convention and we can't wait to record. This will be our first live episode with an audience. So we're really excited for this. So we hope to see you there. Yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked. I can't wait. Um, now, moving on to uh, some office news. Uh, Jake from State Farm, as everybody lovingly calls him, has left ADGA. So uh, good luck to Jake and his future endeavors. Um, also, I've seen quite a few posts on Facebook this week uh, that people are calling in and waiting for four hours on hold with ADGA. Uh, guys, the, the phone lines are not being answered. You need to put in a support ticket. There's a Facebook page, a Facebook ADGA page post about it. Uh, so go ahead and check that out. But yeah, do not call um, and and you know get all your updates uh, through the Facebook page. And also they've sent out an email about it as well. Um, and then lastly, uh, we know that um, Lance Gerlach has uh, resigned from ADGA um, and currently uh, apparently... We currently have uh, past executive help um, helping the office until convention. So thanks to those that are helping. Um, yeah, that's that's the ad news. I kind of want to 
jump right into the topic for this week. And, and that's you, Gene. I mean, Gene, you, you, to get started, I mean, I guess we should really just hear about who you are and your history with uh, dairy goats. Well, uh, I didn't always live in the country. I was born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Uh, after I graduated college, you know, I decided, well, even before that, I knew I wasn't a city person at heart. And after college in 1970, uh, Charlotte and I moved up to Oregon. Uh, we settled in Eugene area, uh, moved out to a small farm that we were renting west of Eugene. And that's when our goat adventure started. Uh, found uh, our first goat, Nanny, <laughs> from Great somebody name. we, yes, uh, we found her from somebody that we met at the auction. We were going to the auction to see if we could find some animals for the farm. And uh, we didn't buy her there, but we bought her uh, close by. She was kind of like a Sonnen Nubian mix with big long horns, had kind of a nasty temperament, but that was our first goat. And from there, we picked up other assorted ones. Um, we started having goats born on that farm. A couple years later, we moved to the uh, place about 60 miles north of where we were, and we've been here ever since. Uh, we got a couple of registered, ADGA registered animals, one purebred, one American, and uh, decided we needed maybe a purebred buck to breed those two. So, in 1979, we ended up visiting with Jane Hunt up in Woodland, Washington, and we came back with a buck, Hill and Holler Starbuck, and he was kind of the foundation of our herd. A couple years later, Charlotte went down to visit uh, Sheila Nixon down in California, and she came back with a buck kid, uh, Nixon's ranch man. And he ended up crossing with uh, our Starbuck kids, and the rest was kind of history. We had him on the farm for 10 years or so, and uh, he spent his whole life here. Oh, wow. So that was kind of how we got, it, got started. Uh, Charlotte showed extensively through the 1980s up until 1995 when we kind of sold off most of the herd and kind of pursued other things for a while. We, we always had goats, but uh, not quite so many as we had had previously. Okay. And... Uh, I was yeah, just gonna ask, so what does the current herd look like for you? It's too big. <laughs> the problem for us all when when i uh retired from uh, my day job uh, i decided to kind of pick things up again i by that time i had already 
started with agrogenetics. I was more interested in performance programs, uh, not the showing. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to pursue that interest a little bit more. And I've tried to keep the herd down, but it seems like it, it keeps growing. Well, they do tend to multiply. I will give you that. And then you say, you just go, Oh, well, I guess I can keep this one too. And all right, we can keep this one and I don't want to sell this one. And yeah, then you get a herd that is way too big. Well, they, I find they all have redeeming qualities, whether it's personality or uh, characteristics and it, it's really hard to make the decision of who, who goes and who stays. Totally understandable. And so what is kind of a follow-up? What is your criteria to help you decide who goes and who stays? Are you relying heavily on performance information, production records? Uh, I, use that as part of the criteria. Um, my primary goal is to maintain my doe lines. So if I have daughters of a particular uh, dam in the herd, uh, I would consider selling that dam to pursue that line. Uh, it's it's not something I do lightly because, you know, I have some that are very nice, uh, high, excellent appraised does, but when they have two or three or four daughters in the herd, uh, I just kind of go with the younger animals sometimes. No, that makes sense. And this way you can help share your genetics while still having those does have that impact in your herd through their offspring. Well, that's, that's what I think. I, you know, I don't have anything in the herd now that I would really call a call. They're all really hard decisions that I have to make and I have to set the criteria somehow. Understandable. For sure. And you mentioned getting into uh, ADGA genetics once you retired from your day job. Um, when did ADGA genetics come about and how? Well, it, it actually started before I retired. Uh, I was a software engineer, database architect, application developer for Intel Corporation, uh, working on internal applications, uh, factory automation. So I had quite a bit of experience uh, developing applications and uh, very intimate knowledge of using data to make informed decisions. So it was kind of a, a natural fit because there was really nothing out there at the time, like in the late 1990s, to use to, to help improve dairy goat uh, genetics. The only thing that was out there was um, work that had been done by USDA. They were collecting production, milk production information, and also AGA had 
started sending them type uh, linear, well, I don't even think it was linear appraisal data at that time. Uh, it was still classification. But all this data was out there. You could view it on, on the USDA AIPL site. Uh, ADGA did put some information on their registration certificates and you could get performance pedigrees, but it was really not understandable. So I kind of set about to take the data from USDA, which was public data, bring it into a database and then write an application to display, manipulate and use it. Uh, it was a bit difficult because uh, there was missing missing stuff that would make the animals identifiable like their names the the only named animals in the data sets that they had were uh, the sires or the bucks for the production evaluations all the doe evaluation production information was only identified by registration number. Okay. So it made it kind of inconvenient. I, I know, you know, from my work in application development, it wouldn't be very user-friendly. So in my first rev, I allowed people to actually edit the registered name to identify does. Oh, that's so cool. Well, yeah. I mean, just, <laughs> history, just more in the history side of it. And also, as you were building this database, the community that was involved in it to help kind of launch it off the ground. Yeah, it was it was kind of a nice grassroots effort. There were some there were quite a few people that were really interested in it and involved in entering names at that point but you know i knew that wasn't gonna work long term uh i had to go in and, and verify names it was a lot of work to make sure that uh data was there was data integrity still there and and data wasn't get, getting corrupted right so and th this part you know <laughs> Being kind of a hacker type, I ended up writing a robot that uh, did screen scrapes on the USDA site to extract uh, donates. And I was wow. I was being careful about it. Uh, that's, not that's, over that's crazy. You're like you're like the from the movie Hacker, except with dairy goats. <laughs> uh, this was kind of standard operating procedure. You could um, take a website, you know, as long as they didn't change the format. And if you knew where certain pieces of data were, you could uh, extract them and, and uh, use them. So I was kind of doing that. I was being careful. I wasn't overtaxing their system. I, I was doing it kind of off hours and uh, that worked for quite a while until they actually noticed that I was doing that. And I think they contacted ADGA and ADGA was upset. 
because the registration data, you know, they felt, you know, they had ownership of that. And I, I think they thought I was stealing it. So, uh, I got blocked off the USDA site. Oh, wow. For a time. (laughs) That's a, that's, that's a nice feather to put in your hat right there. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I, (laughs) I didn't really appreciate it. And the users of the system at the time didn't appreciate it either. They, being kind of a grassroots effort, they were kind of firmly in my camp. And when they heard that I was blocked off of USDA, they kind of revolted. And well, uh, yeah, for sure. Edgar heard them. Yeah, well, that's the thing. So th- there wasn't anything on the ADGA side that any sort of effort to bring it over. So you were really the only thing. And once USDA uh, put a stop to that, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people were upset because as we know now in current day, people are really hungry for that site and, and for that information. So I, I could, I bet it was just some kind of storm that was going on back then. (laughs) Well, it, it didn't last for too long. Um, people from ADGA started to contact me finally, and we worked out a cooperative type agreement for uh, data extracts back in 2005. Okay. The, the original release of the genetics website, it wasn't Edgar Genetics at that time, uh, was in 2001. So with this co-op agreement, I was able to get registration data, which was kind of key to identifying animals. Plus, it allowed me to get all the animals uh, in the ADGA registration database and not just the ones that had been evaluated. For sure. So, so that opened up the possibility of actually displaying pedigrees and, uh, you know, having the complete set of ADGA records on the genetic site. So how many years did it take you to get all of the breeds up to date for current registered animals? Uh, it was actually very quick. Uh, I, I was working with Lisa Shepard at the time. She's Mm -hmm. been my advocate all along. Uh, I have, I developed an automated process to load all the data that you see in Edgar Genetics. So once I receive a file of records, I'm able to load that without any intervention. Okay. Wow. That's impressive that you were able to build that. Well, it was something that I was used to doing in my day job. So uh, it was something that was fairly easy for me to do. That's very impressive. And I just want to take a step back kind of really quickly. I mean, I know I use ADGA genetics pretty much on the daily, uh, even as I was doing chores this or tonight, I was like, oh, I have to run this because this might be a fun AI. And let me pull up what's going to happen based on, you know, a planned pedigree on the ADGA genetics site and see what happens. But 
Can you kind of, for those who aren't as familiar or comfortable with the ABGA genetic site, can you kind of break down what the rudimentary functions are that, or the tools you can utilize? Well, the, the database contains registration data on hopefully all the animals that are in the ADGA database. Uh, we have performance-related data as well, uh, linear appraisal, uh, production, some production information as far as evaluations go, production and type evaluations, um, superior genetics kind of listings, whether bucks have been collected or whether they have a collection on file, uh, DNA typing kind of in a general sense. Uh, and, and there's some other things I've added uh, that, that pull on that data and just show it in different ways. But the, yeah. the, the basic functions are, you know, you can search for an animal, view a pedigree, view progeny, uh, any performance data related records for that animal. There's other ways of looking at uh, genetic evaluation, production and type information uh, to, to pick out sires maybe that you want to use to improve certain traits. Uh, the, there's just a whole host of things that you can do. And the plant pedigree seems to be really popular, especially this time of the year. Yeah, for sure. And I personally love the site. I mean, you and I were talking about it the other night when I was desperately in need of sleep, but it was for a uh, issue with an animal and, and you were really quick to, to help me out there. Um, but in that process, and just a couple minutes ago, you mentioned that you know you had Lisa Shepard, who is your your advocate there, uh, and was one of the people that was sending you that information on each you know animal, the files. Uh, but how do you get the data? Is it just like an automatic data file that is sent through the program in Adga, and then it's just automatically sent to you, or does somebody have to compile all that data and are you working on this like solo or, or how's, how's that work? The, um, the way it used to work before NG was at the first of the month, Lisa would pull uh, registration data, DNA, uh, linear appraisal, new linear appraisals, um, and other assorted data, send them in individual files. And then we would transfer those via file transfer protocol using ADGA server. I download those and then I have uh, loaders for each of the file types that we, that I receive. And then I load those at the beginning of the month. It's a, it's a very quick process. Uh, takes very little time once I have the files. Hmm. Okay. But uh, now things have changed a bit. Uh, <laughs> NG isn't quite up to speed. 
they are working on getting uh, the format one, which is the registration information, kind of on a regular basis. It hasn't been the first of the month, but it's been close to the first of the month. So that information is coming, but that is all that is coming at this point in time. Mm -hmm. And that's new registrations only. Now, since we're talking about NG, and since I'm a Guernsey breeder, of course, my mind goes to, well, do you have stuff in place for when Guernseys get added through ADGA? Um, that would it, would it be just like building a new breed and it's the same process? Is there more uh, physical work that is involved when you do something like that? Uh, if you've looked on ADGA genetics, you'll see that Guernsey shows up in the breed dropdown. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very easy for me to add another breed. Okay. Uh, the ADGA side, you know, they have to uh, do actual logic to add a new breed uh, into their database because each breed has a separate set of rules that allow them to go into a certain herd book. So, yes, it's probably a little more difficult, but they've got other issues going on now that are keeping them from uh, registering Guernsey. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just a few. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, once once they start sending me Guernsey, uh, you know, animals identified as Guernsey breed, they'll automatically go into the database and they'll appear. That's so cool. Um, kind of switching gears slightly, but you have all these users who are interacting with the ADGA genetics site, but what do you think in talking with different breeders or people using the site, what do you think are the most common things that users get confused by when using the site? Uh, it's, it's probably the evaluation data and what the numbers mean. Uh, I, I think in order to use the evaluation data properly for dairy goat improvement, you need kind of a basic understanding of statistics. And, uh, you know, something that is frequently mentioned in the genetic evaluations are PTA, predicted transmitting ability. And a, a good understanding of what PTAs are will help you use the data effectively. And those, <laughs> I guess, uh, the short answer is uh, the predicted transmitting abilities are kind of a gauge of the average genetic merit for a particular trait. So that could be milk or butterfat or protein or uh, linear traits or final score and uh, knowing how to use the PTA, the raw PTA value uh, along with uh, raw appraisal data will, is kind of the key to using, using that evaluation stuff. And I think 
it also is just people need to kind of play with it and familiarize themselves with it um, and, and kind of staying with that. Like when you're using your own site, what is your favorite tool to use uh, for your herd? Uh, it depends on what the breeding goal is for a particular cross. Uh, if I'm looking at a, a production-based cross, I'll look at uh, but sires that will increase production reliably. Uh, and for that, I, I'll use the PTAs. Uh, there's, there's a way on the production menu where you can go in and select sires and you can sort by uh, any of the columns on there. So there's columns for um, milk, fat, protein, and percentages. Uh, right now, I'm using a son of a, an AI that I did based on that, uh, Barely Emperor Alakai. And uh, he is at the top of the elite list for Alpines. So that I was fortunate to be able to get semen on him, and uh, I'll continue to use that for production. Uh, on the type side, uh, I kind of look at what I need for a particular cross, and uh, I'll I'll find a sire that will uh, hopefully improve that particular trait, uh, pass it on to his progeny. And, uh, you know, it all depends on what I'm looking for. Uh, right now, I, I haven't bought a buck in many, many years, probably since most of the original animals that we had. What I do is I do AI cross on some some of my better does and then I'll save a buck out of that and then use that. that that's the way I've been operating for years now that's pretty impressive what what is the most underutilized tool that you see uh, that people are not using to its full effect do you think well I you know I really think that people can use the evaluation-based tools a lot more than they are. Uh, what I look just from statistics on website usage, most people are just looking at pedigrees. And that kind of used to be the old way of doing your crosses. You know, you see who's in the background on the pedigree. You know, if, if you have a lot of national champions or show winners, that was considered a good thing. But that, I don't know, that's kind of superficial in my mind. If you, if you really want to make improvements based on real hard data, you need to go for the evaluation tools, mm -hmm. either production or, or type. Uh, there, there's one I like uh, on the type side. It's the... Um, It's the uh, traits user defined feature where mm -hmm. you, can, you can set the range for a type trait 
you know, zero to 50, and then uh, find sires that will increase that based on their PTAs. And that's, that's real powerful as far as I'm concerned and kind of underutilized. Oh, no. Yeah. Definitely something that, again, kind of when people start understanding how a PTA works for um, the data and really want to And just for uh, agogenetics users' information, there is a presentation that I did and have presented multiple times uh, on the homepage called Evaluation-Based Breeding. And it goes through in extensive detail how you can use the evaluation data to make more informed decisions. Awesome. And that, just for everyone who is listening, is under the useful links section of the homepage there. It's the second to last uh, link there. So if you're looking and want to learn a little bit more, that's where that is. So kind of going on with that, but you mentioned earlier tracking the statistics of the website and seeing how users interact. What is something that you find most surprising about how we're using ADGA genetics? Um, I don't know. I, I'm not really surprised by the results. I, I kind of can assume that that's the way it would be. Uh, people are still, they still really like doing pedigree research and looking at animals that way, see who came before, see what animals are, are in the pedigree. I, I would like to see people dig into it a little bit deeper. Uh, the evaluation part, I think, is really important, and I'd like to see them use that more. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I actually love looking through my pedigrees or pedigrees on animals I'm interested in. But the first thing I look at as I'm going through the pedigree and the individual animals is if they have a, a linear appraisal. And if they do, I'm going right in there and I'm looking and seeing what they've got going on, you know? <laughs> yeah. So. Well, there, there's some interesting linear appraisal tools that don't get used very much either. And one is, uh, under the type menu, uh, you can find all the offspring that have been appraised for a given sire. And it's kind of nice to see them organized that way uh, and see the variation that, that you might get from a particular sire. Oh, that's one of my favorite things to do with, particularly with my planned AIs is to look and see what was going on where the data is coming from for those type evals, but then also the age ranges that are contributing to the type evals as well. And so I always go, oh, okay, so maybe this doe only appraised in the mammary system and maybe her, her mammary system score was a V, but here she, and obviously the V is not 
what is calculated for that type, but just kind of to use for an example right now. Um, but she was a first freshening yearling and she was only a year and two months. And so let me give her a little bit of leeway and then, oh, here's her record from three years later. And now she's excellent in memory. And it just helps you see the picture a little better and how all of that information really contributes to those evaluations. Yeah. And, and another thing, uh, while we're talking about linear, uh, I would like to see people put more emphasis on the actual linear traits rather than the structural um, scores. Uh, the linear part of it is based on actual measurements. You know, they have a measurement scale and they measure certain qualities of those traits against that scale. The structural part is more like going to a show and it's, it is quite subjective. So, you know, if you really want to get the best of the data and work on fixing individual traits, the linear traits, uh, I would go for the linear portion rather than the structural. Although, you know, it's hard to ignore uh, excellent scores on those. Yeah, it is. It's hard, it's hard to look at that candy in front of your yeah. face, for sure. Um, are there any functions that you're looking into adding into ADGA genetics down the line? Uh well, it's all going to depend on what happens with uh, ADGA and NG. Uh, I, I've been after them for uh, more data that they have that they have not been forthcoming with, like uh, DNA, not the, not the typing, because they are sending some kind of general typing information. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, things like alpha S1 casein and G6S. Uh, I know they had publication restrictions and privacy concerns on those for years, which seems silly to me because, you know, those genetic traits are what they are. It's not like they're good or bad. Right. And, and dairy cow people have that up on their pages, you know, everywhere. You know, you can find yeah. that pretty readily. It's readily available. Yeah. I, the, the, you know, genetic faults and uh, genetic markers that have to do with production and, you know, other genomic stuff should be readily available. They, they really should be public data. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I, I made a proposal to the AGA IM committee last year about displaying DNA data uh, and really haven't heard back on that. But uh, as you might know, I've put together a public database where people um, can submit their results certificates from UC Davis. I entered those in a database and um, they're available for display. Uh, it, I put together a search engine for it, which kind of looks like Genetics, but you can't get to it from 
the genetics menu because it hasn't been blessed by Agnes. Right. Okay, so that was my question because I swear I had seen, and that, or this answers my question because I had sworn I had seen, okay, here's a way to kind of help with record keeping, I want to say, for when I've slipped and forgotten which does are DNA tested or, you know, which does, particularly alpha casein or G6S, those kind of things. And I remember seeing it online, but how do you get to that? So there's a Facebook group called Caprine Alpha S1 Casein. And in the description on that particular um, group, the link is there. And I believe it's on the G6S Facebook group as well. It's off the Adga Genetics website but the page is called dnasearch.aspx. Okay, perfect. And yeah, I'll make sure I link that onto the show notes. And I, I have to ask, Gene, uh, you don't get paid by ADGA to run ADGA Genetics. Uh, you do this in cooperation with ADGA, CDCB, as a public service to dairy goat breeders. Why not allow ads or sponsoring to make you know, a little bit of money for the amount of time and, and sweat and tears and everything else that you put into it. Well, it, it kind of goes back a lot of years. Uh, I was around in a computer industry when the internet was just starting. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was around when the World Wide Web just started. And at that time, the web was for information sharing. Right. People weren't talking about monetization. And I've always thought, you know, that's the way it needs to be. So, you know, I've been steadfastly against advertising or uh, taking money for this. I'm doing it as a public service. And I'll continue to do that as long as I can. That's that's amazing. And, you know, myself and I'm sure Danielle, we thank you for for that. And, you know, it's it's great. And it's just it's a very honorable thing. So thank you. Well, I, I try and do the right thing. And in my mind, you know, I'm not looking to make money off this. I'm looking to help people make informed decisions about their votes. Right. Well. And that's, that's just, that's a great thing to, to hang your hat on for sure. Uh, now, kind of switching gears a little bit, uh, I personally had an issue where there was an exclusion for an animal I had purchased uh, in his pedigree. Thankfully, uh, the correct animal was found, but the pedigree had to get fixed by you in, in Adga Genetics. Uh, when it comes to exclusions which with mandated DNA on new bucks, we could see a surge of more. What kind of headaches or work does that create for you? Well, right now, uh, it has to be a manual process. Mm -hmm. If NG was working as it should, and I believe they're working towards this goal, every time they make a change in the NG database, a format one change record is generated and then uh, that's sent out to my site and CDCB so we can adjust our data. Well, 
change records are not happening automatically. So the way it's working now is uh, things are getting changed on NG. And when people notice that it's not correct in genetics, they notify me or Lisa Shepard, and we take care of it manually. Mm-hmm. For exclusions, uh, you know, this big deal of one that just happened is creating a real uh, cascading mess. Uh, there were, you know, it, it happened quite a number of years ago, so there was a lot of chance for um, a lot of animals to be affected. I, I did a query to find out all the animals for that particular one, and there were 77 with him in their pedigree. So as a first pass, all the bucks that were born off that exclusion were removed, had to be removed from both NG and epigenetics. Uh, all the does that remain are going to have to have herd books adjusted. So, and so, you're going to have to go currently with the way the programming works, you're going to have to go in manually and update all of that? I did the removals last week for those bucks. Uh, Lisa Shepard is working on this. She knows what records need to be changed. Uh, she will generate manually the format one records for those changes, send them to me, and then I'll apply them. That's that's quite the process. Yeah, wow. It's, it's going to be kind of a mess, and, you know, it's kind of a side effect of um, wanting database te- integrity through DNA testing. You know, it's a kind of a noble thing, but... We all know that dairy goat breeders have problems managing their bucks, uh, managing their records sometimes. And in order to keep things straight, uh, DNA testing is going to uncover more of these kind of issues, I think. Yeah, I, I think we're looking at just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, I, I know of, I think, three in the last two years that have been of decent size and only one of them the correct uh sire was found um and and it is still affected animals that needed pedigrees to be changed i mean shoot the one that my animal was involved in uh there was i believe over 100 animals affected by that with their immediate pedigrees um so yeah it's 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 a huge thing and it's it's concerning but i also i agree that you know there if we want integrity behind our pedigrees and our data, um, then yeah, that's, I guess, the road that we're going to go down. But th- I think that we will see quite the surge. I, I think that the sooner these uh, pedigree problems are found, be- before you can get like three or four generations down the road, uh, the easier it will be to fix. Mm-hmm. So... Agreed. You know, the more typing that's done on newer animals, I, I think will kind of alleviate or kind of minimize the problem, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> kind of switching tiers a little bit more here. I'm sad we won't meet you at convention this year. You know, I asked you in private if you were going to go. And I mean, it's quite the trek for you being all the way in Oregon. Uh, but I think I speak for the entire membership when we say thank you from the bottom of our hearts for all the hard work you've put in to ADGA genetics throughout the years. Uh, many people enjoy ADGA genetics, but I don't think everyone realizes the time and dedication it takes to keep it running every single day. So I speak for me and many, many dairy goat breeders when I say thank you so much for all the time and effort you put in. Well, I thank you for that. And, you know, that kind of appreciation is payment enough for me at this point in time. Uh, yeah. in, you know, it's really, it's not that big an investment in equipment or time at this point. If it's going to require new development or, you know, I, I would in the future like to do another rev on this because what, I've got now is going on 15 years old. So, uh, you know, times have changed and I think we've learned quite a bit about, about what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, if, if ADCA can stabilize their situation and still supply data, uh, I would consider doing another uh, revision of this application. So what would that future look like just kind of for us to envision? What is your, what is your vision for the next version of this? Well, uh, given that the whole picture of personal electronics has changed, uh, I really need to make something that has responsive interface that would work well on uh, mobile phones as well as on computers. Uh, that's, that's something that would absolutely be necessary. Uh, I'd like to use newer technology tools, uh, more open source kind of tools rather than go with uh, big corporate software like I have been in the past. Uh, I just don't like uh, relying on that anymore. I'd also like to kind of make the effort more of a community effort. I know there's people in, in uh, dairy goats who have a lot of expertise who might be interested in doing like a community application open source project. So, you know, we'll have to see what happens. It's kind of all up in the air. I, I would really like to go to convention, but for the way I'm doing things now, it's impossible to get away from the farm. So uh, we'll see what happens at convention. My hat goes off for the for the board of directors. There's a lot of work to be done, um, but it's going to be hopefully a fruitful convention, and we'll get on the right track. And uh, you know, NG, uh, even though right now it's not at nearly the capacity that it should be, I think that down the road it could be a unique and and good program. So. Hopefully we get there. Um, and Gene, I just want to say again, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, did you want to say anything to the listeners before we uh, close this thing out? Well, just keep poking away at the application. Hopefully it's helping you improve your dairy goats. That was the goal. And uh, 
I thank you for having me on. Well, thank you. Pleasure is all ours. Yeah, we are so appreciative that you took the time out. And I'm really excited to go back on Good Genetics, start using the tools again, playing around a little bit more and just seeing what this will do to help me with my breedings. And I think that even the most active users of Abgood Genetics, there's still always more that we can do and utilize. And so I'm excited for kind of the future and how as our knowledge increases of how as the dairy goat community on how to use type data and more herds start doing production testing and getting type data on their animals and the interest increases where this takes the dairy goat industry or the registered dairy goat industry, I should say. Gene Dershowitz of Misty's French Alpine Dairy Goats and Adka Genetics. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, everybody, you can find us on the old social medias on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, uh, and our website. Don't forget, folks, we are on the uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So look us up, give us a rating, review. We'd love to hear the feedback. Um, this has been Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. I'm John. And I'm Danielle. And we'll catch you on the next one. Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast, is not an affiliate of the American Dairy Goat Association. All opinions or information regarding the ADGA does not represent the registry.